Hello there, everyone. It's your friend Rico at the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast for this week. Today is Saturday. It's November 19th, 2005. It's actually Saturday night. This is show number 12. And this week's show is all going to be about sci-fi films, films of the past primarily. And we're going to look at also a collectible. I'm not going to tell you which films I'm going to look at. I'm going to look at four of them, but I'll leave that as a little bit of a surprise as the show goes along. And let's get on with the show. Treks in Sci-Fi. Yes, it's the big sci-fi movie show. I love all this movie stuff. Pardon me, sir. Stuff? Okay, hello everyone. I want to welcome everyone to this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Like I said earlier, I'm your host, Rico, and this week's going to be the special sci-fi movie podcast. But first, I'm going to look at some... uh, viewer, listener, I do that again, listener email. And let's look at that right now. Incoming transmission, Captain. I've gotten a few really, really good emails this week. Just want to really thank people uh, for uh, writing to me. Uh, One person had commented about uh, that I've been kind of abridging uh, or paraphrasing emails I've been doing that for uh, a couple of reasons. One, I don't like to just sit here and read uh, a word-for-word what people have written to me about. One, uh, the letter or the email sometimes are a little lengthy, and I don't really want to take a lot of time up. I usually write each individual person back anyway a response to their email, so I feel I've answered uh, their questions if they have anything specific that way. But I also want to recognize them on the podcast and mention them So I think I'm going to kind of sort of try to find a a happy medium for that where I'm going to read some of their email, but I won't read the whole thing if it's fairly lengthy. The first email that I want to talk about this week is from uh, Peter Wolchak. He says, Hi, Rick. I've been a a Star Trek fan for essentially my entire life. His primary interest is TOS, but I'm also a big fan of Enterprise and TNG. I thought DS9 was a great show, but not quite as compelling for me, and Voyager was a big disappointment, he said. I I kind of agree with you, uh, Peter, on those, although I I enjoyed Voyager mostly. I I especially liked some of the later seasons. I thought they picked up a little bit. Uh, So that, uh, but the, uh, I was also a big fan of Enterprise and, and was sad when that ended last week, or last week, last year. And the, um, it's difficult this year with nothing on. It's kind of one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is to uh, take up the slack. Oh, before I get any further into this, I wanted to mention one thing. If the audio quality on this uh, podcast is just a little bit different, I'm hoping maybe just a little bit better. I did receive a mixer that I had ordered, and I am just in, in the midst of trying to learn what to do with it, how to use it. I do have my microphone running through it now, so... We'll see if this if the audio is any different this week or not. Uh, I I got to get a few more cables, and I'm probably going to get a different microphone because I'm not completely satisfied with this one. So I just wanted to mention something about the audio quality. But uh, back to Peter's email, he also mentions quite a few items that he has uh, in his collection of uh, Star Trek memorabilia, and he's got quite a few nice things some some pictures, uh, some autographs, and and some models, and some master replicas pieces. I'd. Uh, he also mentions he's got a Mego Captain Kirk figure still in its package, signed by William Shatner. I have a few of the Mego figures also, uh, not very many of them, but that's, uh, that's a pretty cool thing to have one signed by uh, William Shatner. That's, uh, he doesn't do a lot of signing, I know, so that, that's, a, that's a big uh, big benefit there on that uh, figure. Peter also goes on in his email uh, quite a bit about uh, Star Trek. He mentioned something about the the fact that I had sent it a previous podcast. I think it was just last week's about 
possibly doing some improvement on the effects on on the DVDs some from some of the original series. You know, when I think back about that, I I really didn't mean for them to to go back and or even entertain the idea of changing the effects on the old show really that much. I think it was just that one real incident in the Doomsday Machine with that model just kind of hanging there of the uh, constellation going into the uh, planet uh, destroyer, the Doomsday Machine, um, that I thought they could do a little bit better. But no, I, I, I enjoy the original series, and I wouldn't I wouldn't change it either. So, But I really appreciate your letter, Peter. Let's go on to the next one. Okay, we have another email. This is from uh, Andrew Konitsky. I think I'm saying your last name right, Andrew. He's one of the uh, guys over on the Extra Life uh, group podcast each week. Andrew, also known as Neuroman on the forums over there, uh, he sent uh, just a brief little email about some some really cool uh, Star Trek, Star Wars artwork. It's basically sort of caricatures of, of a lot of the different characters on those shows and some other pop culture like actors, basically. I'm going to put a link to the... Uh, the site, the gallery where this artwork is at, I'll put it into the show notes. So thanks a lot for that, Andrew. I really like the artwork. I've seen some of that before, but not all those pieces uh, all in one place. So that's that's really cool. Thank you for that. This one is from Peter Kral, K-R-A-L. And he says, Hi, Rico. I first heard about your podcast on Michael and Evo's podcast, and they do the Slice of Sci-Fi podcast, which is a, a really good show. Really enjoy it. Was Michael and Evo uh, that do? They also do a, a podcast about sci-fi books at the Dragon Page. They do another show called Winging It, which is basically just exactly that. They wing it and talk about whatever they kind of feel like at the time. And then they have their Slice of Sci-Fi show, and I, it was um, it was their podcast really that started me. Uh, to it started me interesting or interesting me in podcasts in general. I think theirs was the first I listened to, the Dragon Page one on sci-fi books, and I've listened to obviously a lot of other ones since then. But uh, he says uh, this is back to Peter's email. I've now listened to all ten of your shows, and he seconds the comment to, that I am like the NPR of Trek. I never really again thought of myself like that, but I think when you get the microphone and I get talking about these these shows. The, especially the original series, it just sort of goes that way for me. It was great hearing your conversation with your son, and I hope you do more of those kind of interviews and that uh, joint interviews in the future with him and our other folks. I, I do plan on doing that. Uh, it's still uh, kind of a technical hurdle for me doing a, a Skype uh, recording, and but I am going to try to get some friends, family members down here and uh, on the microphone. So I, I do plan on definitely doing that in the in the very near future. Peter uh, goes on. He says, Best of Both Worlds was indeed a great show. When the first part ended, my friends and I literally moaned because we were all just dying to know what would happen next. I felt the same way when that ended in such a cliffhanger. He says, I'd like to suggest you do a show on yesterday's Enterprise next to uh, the Best of Both Worlds. That is my favorite TNG episode. I completely agree, Peter. Well, it's. Um, I agree that it's a great episode, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have probably about a good 10, 12 of those TNG episodes that are that are way up there. Yesterday's Enterprise, Best of Both Worlds are definitely in there. I actually like the the finale of The Next Generation. I think it's probably, for me, one of the best finales they've ever done for a Star Trek series. And I think they did a wonderful job with that. And there's quite a few others. The Inner Light is another, but there's a lot of uh, next-gen shows that I enjoy. He says, he's. Uh, I'm a comic collector with many issues of Star Trek and TNG comics. I also, um, myself, uh, am a comic collector and reader. I, I wouldn't, well, more of a reader than a collector, but I do keep them. But it's it's unfortunate they don't do Star Trek uh, comics anymore. I mean, especially with the the series off the air, I think now is a, is a prime time to get back to that. So I hope somebody picks that license up. It's been sort of uh, tossed around from different places over the years, but I think somebody could do a really good Star Trek comic right now, so I hope they'd pick that up. Uh, he says, "Do I? will I consider reviewing comics and or novels as well as the TV episodes? Perhaps, especially if they do start a new comic, uh, and I don't get a chance to read the novels. I think I've mentioned this previously, but I, I will uh, 
definitely think about putting those into the show at some point in time. And he was also one of the, he, he mentions, Peter mentions, he's the one that basically said, uh, he thought I should read the, the emails a little bit more direct and not, not paraphrase. So I hope I'm doing a better job on this, this week's show, Peter, for you. And I, I agree. And like I said earlier, it's, it's mostly just the length and time issues that's, that's kept me to, um, keep them a little briefer. So thanks again for the, uh, the email, Peter. I have a, another email from Ricardo Santiago from Brazil. And he just was thanking me for mentioning his other email on my last show. He says, if I have a sudden surge of Brazilian listeners, you'll know that uh, he's passed on that podcast to a lot of his friends. He said, um, he mentions a little bit about um, Brazil TV and that they don't get uh, new TV. Uh, and I've heard this from other people around the world, that they don't get our, our new TV, like I've talked about Surface and some other current television, but they don't get it right away, 6 to 12 months. I'll just say, uh, Ricardo, that I'm trying real hard not to give a lot of things away on these things, whether it's a TV or a movie that's that's currently out. I would definitely try to warn people if I do say much about it that there'll be spoilers. I, I don't like uh, things spoiled for me, so I will definitely try to work on that for you guys. As far as old Star Trek episodes, especially the original series, Next Generation, I feel that those have been out for quite a while on DVDs and so on, and I do give a slight warning usually for those, but I'm hoping that that's not a problem for people. Obviously, the podcast won't be very much uh, fun to listen to if I can't get into those shows a little bit deeper than uh, than you know you might on a new movie or uh, a new TV show. Oh, he also asks on the collectible side about the Han Solo blaster that I talked about last week. Why was there a hammer and a trigger mechanism on a laser-type gun? Well, like I said last week, Ricardo, that those uh, those weapons were based on original uh, weaponry that was that was based on a German M Mauser uh, item. So that's that's why they leave that that stuff in place and they just add sort of little end up uh, a different flash mu muzzle on the end and different doodads. So that's why that's the case. So thanks again for your email. I think. Uh, I think that was the last one I wanted to mention. I'm going to do a few other housekeeping things now as far as the show, the website, and so forth. Um, again, the, the main website for this podcast and other areas uh, that I like to put up and pictures of my collection of collectibles, you can go to www.treksf.com or just www.treksinsci-fi.com. Both of those will get you to the same site. The main page has the main links to all the different sections. I am, I constantly say this, I know, but uh, I do plan on getting more pictures of my collection up very soon. Hopefully, over the upcoming holidays, I'll have some extra time. I can click off more digital shots of things and put them up. And I am going to do that video of some things in my collection also very soon. So look for that. The other thing I wanted to mention is, and I can't, I don't think I mentioned this in last week's show, but maybe I did in the podcast. I have a forum section up now on the website. It's got about, oh gosh, we're up to a whole 13 members now, which is nice. I mean, that's just been up a week and there's some good discussions going on, I think. And people are starting to uh, to go there and, and post their viewpoints on Star Trek science fiction, other things they're into gaming and that. So if anyone would like to join, it, it's pretty... Um, footloose and fancy free on the forum uh, i just hope everyone is is basically respectful of each other and we don't get into too many major problems so i i don't really want to have to step in and fix anything so anyway there's forums up take a look uh join up put in some comments the the main reason i think i put the forums up was to just have a direct link uh or a direct uh, connection for the the podcast primarily so you can still obviously send me an email at treksf at gmail.com, but the forum is is kind of a direct spot where people could maybe post a comment about a podcast and maybe other people had the same question, and I can answer it then rather than, you know, three or four different emails asking the same thing. So that's about that. Now we're going to get into the movie section.
quickly now. Who knows what music that is? Yes, it is music from the movie Silent Running. That's the first movie we're going to be talking about in the movie section for this special podcast. I I just want to say one last thing, though. Um, I hope the people that are very much into the Star Trek uh, episode discussion reviews and so forth aren't too disappointed this week i just wanted to take a little break from that for for a change up and talk about some of these movies that i'm going to talk about here are kind of uh kind of all each hold a special place for me they are movies that i kind of grew up with also for the most part and i think they all have a good message really and we'll there's going to be four total that i'm going to talk about and the first one is silent running now, this movie came out in 1972, directed by Douglas Trumbull, starring Bruce Dern as Freeman Lowell. Spoiler, spoiler alert, alert, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. I'm not going to give, try not to give a whole lot away on each of the movies I'm going to talk about, but I am going to give a little tidbit. So if you're really paranoid about those kind of things, skip ahead a little bit, you know, to get to the next film that I'm going to talk about or, or go watch Silent Running and then come back and listen. Uh, I think most of the people that listen to the show have probably seen this film. This is the film, basically, that, that Bruce Dern plays Freeman Lowell. He and a group of uh, other people are on a sort of space uh, floating uh, ship. I don't know what you call it. Uh, it's a series of uh, greenhouses, basically, flying through space. You know, it's still inside the the solar system, you know, Earth and so forth, but... What the the story basically is is that the Earth has been pretty much wiped out of forest vegetation, things like that, grass, trees, and so forth. And the last remains of all this greenery and living things are put on these domes that are floating out in space. Now you got to get past the whole like that really doesn't make much sense factor and understand that in in the early 70s again that this movie is very much a product of the of the time it came out in freeman uh bruce stern's character is is your first ultimate tree hugger you know anti you know build up and he'd be there throwing himself in front of a bulldozer if if somebody was trying to knock down a you know a wetland somewhere you know he's just uh he's trying to save the forests he's trying to save nature trying to save what's what's um you know what, what the people at this time and they don't i'm trying to recall i i've i flipped through the movie real quick before i did the show that i'm trying to remember if they have a real specific time frame that they give when they're when they're doing this uh film but it's uh he just is very very protective of the last bit of vegetation and wild not wildlife i think there are still animals yeah there's still animals but um there's some other guys on the ships and through a series of things they're they're told basically that you don't uh we don't we don't want this forestry junk up there anymore and blow it up and come on back home guys there's no money left or whatever the reasons are well bruce dern freeman lowell this character, he's not too happy about that idea. And I'm going to play a clip now where he's talking to the other guys about he's eating a cantaloupe, which is one of my favorite things. He's eating a cantaloupe. These guys are eating this processed, you know, sort of few food cubes junk. And I, I really love this little bit that he talks to them about, you know, how what he's eating is is is, is real and it, and it means something. And what they're eating is basically junk. So listen to this. Hey, Lil, give me a slice of that cantaloupe, huh? Hey, don't ask Lil for a slice. I'd be delighted to give you a slice of that cantaloupe. Just sit down and shut up. Sit down, sit down, sit down! And shut up and leave me alone, all of you, now, and let me eat. Hey, now, what's the big deal? I can't see the difference between that and this anyway. You don't see the difference? The difference is that I grew it. That's what the difference is. That I picked it and I fixed it. And it has a taste and it has some color. And it has a smell. And that it calls back a time when there were flowers all over the earth. And there were valleys. And there were plains of tall green grass that you could lie down in, that you could go to sleep in. And there were blue skies. And there was fresh air. And there were things growing all over the place, not just in some domed enclosures blasted some millions of miles out into space. Look at that stuff. 
how can you guys sit there and really say anything to me about this? Look at this crap. Look at that. Dried synthetic crap. And you've become so dependent on it that I bet you can't even live without it. What do we want to know? Don't you realize how pitiful that is, what you just asked me? On Earth, everywhere you go, the temperature is 75 degrees. Everything is the same. All the people are exactly the same. I really like uh, I like Freeman and I like Bruce Dern in this in this movie a lot. I think uh, it's one of the best things uh, Bruce Dern ever did. He just fits the part. He's a little crazy, a little wild looking. He's got that long, weird hair and uh, real intense eyes in this movie. And the, the there's a few other cool things about this. There's the the drones, Huey, Dewey, and Louie are these little robots, kind of like the early uh, sort of beginnings of R2-D2. And Douglas Trumbull, you know, was uh, was directing this movie, and you can see a lot of early things in this movie that sort of led and took off when uh, Star Wars was made. So I love the robots. There's a scene uh, that the three robots, actually, sorry, it's two, because one of them is, oh, I won't say too much, but there's a scene of two of the robots and Bruce Stern's character playing cards. And I, I recorded a little of that. I want to play that clip for you uh, right now. How many cards you want, Dewey? Well, what are you doing? You just threw down three kings. You're nuts, you know that? Well, uh, your hand is obviously dead, and let's see what you got here. Well, he's got trash, so uh, obviously I'm the winner with three sevens. Thank you, boys. I'm sorry. You've got to be quicker than that. You've got to get up in the morning to beat old Freeman, let me tell you. Early in the morning. It's all mine. Now, this time we'll play another hand, and I don't want any mistakes. I mean, it's up to you, you know. We're not playing for three-in-one oil here, you know. We're playing for money. Yeah, it's a good little scene there. He he basically programs these robots because he's kind of ends up alone on the ships by himself. Programs these robots how to play cards, and it's pretty funny when they when they show that part. I, I enjoy it. So that's uh, that's mainly silent running. I, I'm gonna only talk a few minutes about each of these movies. I want to get through four of them here in the show, and and then also talk about a collectible. It's a it's a great movie though. Uh, I urge you if you've never seen it definitely check this movie out silent running especially if you're you know you're you're concerned about the environment and, it, and these days it seems more and more there there's less trees and less well everyone knows this i mean we're we're chewing up the earth uh it's it we're gonna have to be careful uh i live kind of a little bit out in the countryside so i one of the reasons i'm out this way is that i enjoy the being able to see trees i don't want to just see concrete all around me so Silent Running, great film, 1972, Bruce Dern. Check it out. Oh, one last thing about Silent Running. I, I love, love the music in this uh, movie. Most of the songs uh, are done by Joan Baez, a singer of that era. You know, who, Depending on how old you are, you might not know who that is listening to this uh, podcast, but she has a really, really nice voice. It, it suits this, this film so much. And actually, I think I have an LP, a record of silent running that was put out and the record is was pressed in green plastic rather than the traditional lps were pressed in black to kind of go along with the whole green uh green message of silent running so anyway that's uh that's enough about that film i love it go see it next movie coming up in the final decade of the 21st century Men and women in rocket ships landed on the moon. By 2200 A.D., they had reached the other planets of our solar system. Almost at once, there followed the discovery of hyperdrive, through which the speed of light was first attained and later greatly surpassed. And so at last, mankind began the conquest and colonization of deep space. United Planets cruiser C-57D. Now more than a year out from Earth base on a special mission to the planetary system of the great main sequence star, Altair. Okay, that is some of the early part of the next film that I'm going to be discussing. All right, everyone out there, tell me what movie that is. I think the real uh, true sci-fi nut, geek, nerds, whatever, will know what it is. 
Yes, that movie is Forbidden Planet. Uh, another really, really classic, classic science fiction film. And let me look up real quick the date. Yeah, I knew it was in the uh, 1950s. It's a 1956 Forbidden Planet, directed by Fred M. Wilcox. Basically, let's see, a starship crew goes to investigate the silence of a planet's colony only to find two survivors and a robot and a deadly secret that one of them has. Walter Pidgeon and Francis Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen, Warren Stevens, Richard Anderson, Oscar Goldman from The Six Million Dollar Man, Ura Holloman, Robbie the Robot. Great, great, great cast in this film. Just just really, really good. Now I'm going to talk... Uh, talk about this movie for a few minutes this was and still is of uh, one of my all-time favorite science fiction type uh, movies this has all the basic elements i mean this movie is basically a star trek episode and a lot of what was in this film ends up being used by gene roddenberry in creating star trek i mean you have a, a ship it goes to investigate planets in this particular uh, Forbidden Planet movie. They go to investigate one planet, and they find these survivors on there. I mean, they're, the, the crew, I mean, there's a captain, there's a medical officer. They're, they're all the t traditional kind of characters, the engineer. They're all there on the, the C-57D cruiser that's flying through space and investigating you know, problems out in the galaxy. I think they even mentioned they're part of some kind of a Starfleet type organization, and they, um, but they're there to investigate what's going on with this colony that's there or that was on this. It's on this planet Altair, um, and they kind of they've. I think it was around eighteen twenty years they supposedly have been there. Yeah, because there's a uh, Anne Francis plays uh, Walter Pigeon's character, who's uh, Doctor Morbius. She plays Altera. And she's kind of named after the Altair, the name of the star that this uh, planet is a part of that solar system. So, but this uh, this movie has been talked about over the years quite a bit. And if you know it, you won't. You know, there's there's nothing really new that I'm going to say here. Just a couple little things. One, Robbie the robot is just cool. I mean, I'd love to have a full live. No, live isn't the right word. Full size, full scale, Robbie the Robot. And they do have them. I mean, it's been posted actually recently around the web. There's somebody making one for like $50,000. They have been, been made by other people, individuals on their own. There's been a couple of places that, that have made these. Anyway, he's one of the coolest robots in science fiction, film, TV, history. Him, along with the B-9 robot from Lost in Space, are, are right up there. And actually, Robbie the Robot sort of guest starred on a, I think it was just one, maybe two Lost in Space episodes. So so Robbie's cool. The storyline in Forbidden Planet is, is very classic. Uh, it turns into this sort of, oh, you, the Dr. Morbius character doesn't want this crew there investigating them. He wants to be left alone. There's a creature that's killing off crew members. They got to figure out what's going on. There's this whole advanced civilization that used to be on the planet that Morbius has discovered. Again, classic sci-fi, classic Trek-like elements in this movie. They have cool weapons. They have neat effects, especially for a 1956 film. This uh, It's also got some really neat electronic kind of uh, music in this movie. And it, it really fits the mood of it. And I, I really like how it, how it fits into the film, so... Forbidden Planet. Uh, let's see. I'm going to play another clip here with uh, Robbie and, yeah, Earl Holloman is in this. He's like the ship's cook. And he talks to Robbie the robot. Robbie has the ability to create things. Uh, like if he needs some steel for something, he can make it. If he needs some food, he can do that. Well, Earl Holloman, the, the cook, has a certain uh, request for Robbie. So listen to this clip. Can I be of service, sir? Look, never mind the sir, mister, but... I'm a stranger in this so-called planet. I was just wondering if, well, if you could tell me where I could, uh, I could get a hold of some of the real stuff. Real stuff? Uh, just for cooking purposes, you understand. I take a big pride in my duties. Pardon me, sir. Stuff? Oh. Uh, 
just about one jolt left. Oh, genuine ancient rocket bourbon. See here? Hey! Well, you low-living contraption, I ought to take a can opener to you. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Yes, relatively simple alcohol molecules with traces of fusel oil. Would 60 gallons be sufficient? Gallons? Mister, I've been from here to there in this galaxy, and I just want you to know you're, you're the most understanding soul I ever met up with. Ow! Yeah, he wants, uh, he wants Robbie to make him some moonshine, some drink, and I think it's pretty funny because he grab Robbie grabs the bottle from Earl Holloman's character and pours it into his little slot in the front of Robbie. And, you know, he's like, Hey, 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 wait, what are you doing there, Robbie? Give me that back. So great movie, a lot of fun. Uh, the, the characters, the actors do a great job in this. Uh, Leslie Nielsen is very, uh, Kirk like, I think. And there's just a lot of neat stuff here. I'm going to play one more, little clip. There's a clip where, the creature and there's a creature that's coming towards the ship and they're blasting away at it. You can hear the weird sounds and the music and all that. I want to play a little bit of that. It's not all that great to listen to just because you have not a lot of dialogue, but I wanted to play some of those sounds for you and and give you a feel for that part. So listen to this. That's a uh, that's a pretty neat creature. They don't see it real clearly for the most of the movie, but it's uh, it's pretty frightening looking, actually. I think the uh, the last thing I'm going to play is just a little bit at the uh, at the very end of Forbidden Planet. With uh, I think this clip was yeah, it's between um, the captain Leslie Nielsen and Morbius. So listen to this um, this little exchange. What man can remember his own dream? At least when our ship was approaching from space, you remembered enough to warn us off. But then when you thought we were threatening your little egomaniac empire, your subconscious sent its id monster out again. More deaths, Morbius. More murder. And now this, too, harm my own daughter. But now she's defying you, Morbius. And even in you, the loving father, there still exists the mindless primitive. More enraged and more inflamed with each new frustration. So now you're whistling up your monster again to punish her for her disloyalty and disobedience. And if you don't do something about it soon, Morbius, it's going to be coming right through that door. Okay, so that was Forbidden Planet, a great, great classic science fiction film. The next movie, we're going to do something a little different with the next one. The next one for me is, it's basically a guilty pleasure kind of, and it's more of a fantasy. It's not really a a science fiction film, although there's science fiction kind of elements in it. But it's more of a guilty pleasure film for me. The the other two um, that I talked about, uh, Silent Running and Forbidden Planet, I, I think are basically, you can consider those classics, classics of the genre and classics uh, for for the films that will be, you know, those will be seen for years to come still, I think. But the next movie is a little bit more recent, not real recent. It's from 1983. And we'll tell you what, let me just play a little bit from it and you can guess what this one is. So I'll play something now from it. Okay, I know I know that music sounds very Star Trek-like, very Star Trek movie-like, but it's not from a Star Trek movie. It is from the 1983 film Crawl. That's K-R-U-L-L. Now, there may be some people out there in podcast land listening and moaning and groaning and, and grabbing their iPods and trying to skip ahead, but... To me, Crawl, there's just something about this movie that's just fun. 
I mean, it, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely grant you that if it came out in 2005, I mean, it would just be ripped apart by by the critics, by people these days. But I don't know, 1983, maybe a little simpler time. I mean, I, I don't know. People are going to be maybe at one day, you know, 20 years from now in, in two, 2025, 2025, they'll be saying, yeah, 2005, you know, that was a little more innocent time. People were a lot more easygoing and things, but it seems like that's, that's the case always, you know, every, every 20 years, we're always going, uh, 20 years ago, things were always so much nicer, but I'm digressing and it's getting a little later. It's like 10 o'clock here Saturday night. So maybe I'm starting to lose it a bit, but anyway, crawl. This is a a fantasy tale of, uh, basically, a a young man that is now destined to become king and his bride-to-be. Uh, his name is Colwyn and her name is Lissa. And there's a lot of Star Wars-ish elements in this movie also. There, there's some fantasy things, but there, there's a lot of sort of Star Wars-ish type stuff. There's an old man that comes down to help the, uh, the young man. And there's sort of an Obi-Wan, a Luke Skywalker connection there. This movie came out basically in the summer uh, of the last of the original trilogy films. The same summer, Return of the Jedi first came out, so there's a there's a lot of Star Wars influences and some Star Trek things. Obviously, the music is also very very much uh, like this Star Trek films were. The music uh, by James Horner is is so much like the Star Trek films. It's it's unreal, and it's almost a little. It's almost a little distracting in how much it's like that, but uh, I just like this this movie a lot. There's a lot of people in here that you've seen in other things. Ken Marshall, Prince Colwyn, was actually a guest. Uh, he was on a few episodes of Deep Space Nine. Freddie Jones plays Yanir. He's the older guy in it. Um, there's there's quite a few. Lissette Anthony plays, plays Princess Lissa. And there's a, there's a lot of really, oh, the, the other real biggie in here is this guy named Keegan. The character is Keegan, played by Liam Neeson. Yes, Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon Jinn is in this movie. So, But there's a lot of fantasy elements. There's some spiders. There there are flying horses with that have flames on their hooves, sort of like if you play World of Warcraft, the, the warlock horse. Um, there's a Cyclops, there's just lots of neat little things in this. There's a wizard kind of guy who's sort of a, uh, comic relief, Ergo the Magnificent. I think I got a clip for that. Uh, let me take a quick look here and see what I've got. Yeah, I do have some of that. First, I'm going to play actually some clips between Coleman and the, uh, uh, older man, uh, Yanir, and we'll play that right now. In the fortress, you will face more than the slayers. You will face the beast, who is their leader. He can be killed. Perhaps. But no man has ever seen him and lived. You will need more than men and swords. You will need the power of the glaive. Yeah, that uh, that exchange between them is, is very much like Obi-Wan and Luke. Uh, the... Um, they also have some very odd weapons and weird effects in this film. They're kind of sort of science fiction, sort of fantasy. They have swords, but then the uh, the the bad guys have these sort of laser things that they shoot at people, and it blasts Colwyn at the beginning, although he's okay. So the main thrust of this movie, though, is, is that the Lys- Lyssa, uh, who's supposed to be the queen uh, in Mary Colwyn, gets taken away by these black riders. There's this big fortress that comes down onto their planet with these bad guys come out of it. And there's this creature called just the beast who kidnaps, uh, Lissa. And there's some weird things that happen at her, at his castle like place. And Colwyn's basically, it's a rescue mission. The, the movie's a rescue thing where he's off to save the day and he collects all this sort of rag team, rag, rag, uh, what am I trying to say? Ragtag team to help him on his quest to save uh, Lissa. And he's got all these, they're basically convicts is what he ends up rounding up. So that's kind of, uh, kind of cool. But, uh, I don't know. There's just something a lot of fun about this movie to me, at least other people I know are probably going to be saying, Oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's not any better than the Dungeons and Dragons movies, um, which there've been two now. So, but I like it. I, I enjoy it. 
and I think it's a lot of the music and it's just sort of the light lightness of it. I mean, there's some heavy parts in it too, but I'm going to play a little bit more of the music because that's one of my favorite parts of this. going to play some music near uh, when they are on the horses uh, flying through the air at times. So listen to this. Yeah, they're the, the, it's really, really nice music. James Horner, again, um, did the Star Trek film music, especially in, like, Star Trek II, III era. And I think they uh, they use it well. It fits this movie real well. So there's one last clip that I'm going to play from. It is near the, uh, the very end of the movie, and there's a little dialogue in there. So we'll play that, and that will be it for Krull, another fun uh, sort of forgotten film a little bit. Here, listen to this. You are his queen? Yes. Then we won. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. I should have stuck to puppies. Oh. I think it's time you unlock those manacles, huh? Well, I thought I'd keep them as a memento of our journey. Well, the key's yours. Only the king and his lord marshal carry this key. That's right. <laughs> A girl of ancient name shall become queen. She shall choose a king, and together they shall rule our world. And their son shall rule the galaxy. Okay, so that's the movie Krull. So we've talked about uh, Forbidden Planet, Silent Running, and Krull. A fairly wide mix. I just wanted to say, I'm not sure how I described this podcast or what it was going to be like this week, uh, last week. But I just basically went to my DVD collection and pulled down some some films that are favorites of mine, some things that I watch. uh, I've watched quite a few times, and I thought... uh, thought I'd give you my, my thoughts and ideas on them. This is by no means definitely my, like, all-time favorites, you know, any better than anything else or worse or anything like that. I don't know. They just kind of struck my fancy for tonight when I when I sat down to do the show. So, and they're, but they're definitely things that I enjoy. So, and with that, we'll get to the last one. I think I was going to do five, but I'm only going to do four. I even pulled out 2001 A Space Odyssey. I was going to do something with that. But, you know, gosh, 2001, I mean, that's that's just the ultimate or one of the ultimate classics of sci-fi cinema. Arthur C. Clarke's story, the, you know, the amazement of Stanley Kubrick and all that. So I just didn't really want to throw that into this group. This is more of a, I, I think, a little bit more of a fun mix of movies with some messages in here also, you know, especially Silent Running. But I didn't want to make them all message-type movies either, so... But uh, the last film that I'm going to talk about is from the 70s again also. And this one I will play, and it's fairly long. I might cut some of it out, but um, I'm going to play. This one actually was one of the few movies of this roundup that um, it had an actual trailer for the film on the DVD. So I'm going to play that for you right now. Just imagine a world where you will hold your entire future in the palm of your hand when a tiny glowing crystal will guide you through an existence in which each day is more wonderful than the last, where it will be possible for you to obtain the fulfillment of every fantasy, the satisfaction of every vanity, the absolute attainment of every wish. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents the Saul David production of Logan's Run. A fantastic journey through a world beyond imagination. Welcome to the 23rd century. The perfect world of total pleasure. Imagine a world in which you need never be alone. You touch a switch, turn a dial, and the perfect lover steps into your arms. Every pleasure is yours to experience. Runner! There's just one catch. 
When the tiny crystal in the palm of your hand flashes its final message, your time is up. Michael York is Logan. Run, Logan! Policeman in a perfect world. No! Trained to track down runners. Run, Logan! Until he is forced to run himself. Runner, stop runner. This is uh, the movie Logan's Run from 1976. This movie uh, was directed by Michael Anderson, uh, written by the novel actually that came from William F. Nolan uh, and George Clayton Johnson wrote the book. This is a story. If no one has seen Logan's Run again, disclaimer, disclaimer, warning, warning, spoiler. This, um, this story has been told a few times in other tales since then. Most uh, recently in the movie over the summer. Oh, gosh, the name of it is escaping me right now, and I even saw it. That's how much of an impact it made on me. Let me look it up quick. Uh, I can't believe I forgot that uh, it was called the, uh, the movie was called The Island with uh, Ewan McGregor with uh, Obi-Wan from the prequel movies. Yeah, Logan's Run is is got a lot of elements, or The Island's got a lot of elements, like, came from Logan's Run and even flipping through it again the movie today Logan's Run there it's almost there's some scenes in it that are really a lot like that were in the island so but Logan's Run is it a, it's a movie about uh this sort of sterilized society of young people they've got everything they need and want um there's there's no real disease or famine or problems or anything like that However, everyone has these little, little neat little crystals in their hands, and when they hit the age of 30, they start blinking red. And that means at, at age 30, they go to this thing called carousel. And what that is, is it's supposed to be, they, they call it renewal. And the idea is that you go on to some kind of, I don't know, higher plane of existence or something. I'm not going to get into that too much, but uh, it, it really isn't quite what it appears to be. And the the neat twist on this, Logan plays basically a, a, a cop. He, he's a, called a Sandman, and him and his friend hunt down runners who are people that do not just join up and say, hey, I'm 30, my little light's blinking red, I'm going to go hop in carousel, hey, see you later, so on and so forth. They actually decide, no, you know, it's kind of like dodging the draft or whatever, they're dodging the carousel. They take off they're, when their little crystals start glowing red, and they run. And they're called runners, and Logan's job as a Sandman is to stop them, along with his friend Francis. But um, Logan, the, the twist here again is he uh, he becomes thirty, and he starts to wonder and question and, and wonder about the whole situation. And he decides to run with uh, Jessica, Jessica Six, Jenny Augeter. I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right. She's a British actress, but. Um, they decide to take off, and then the the chase begins. And the, the movie is a lot of it, basically a chase. But there's um, there are definitely big messages, I think, in this movie. One of those is that uh, growing old isn't so bad, I think. That's one. Uh, another one is you don't always go along with what society and what the government, or I guess it's sort of government, is sort of shoving down uh, for you to believe. And I think that could be, uh, eh, that's a, a bit of an important thing these days. You know, I, I, I try to keep an open mind and try to learn and be, educate myself on things rather than just swallowing up everything somebody tells me or media tells me and so on. But, you know, Logan's Run, let me look at uh, my clip list for this uh, this one. Yeah, we're going to play, uh, there's a little uh, clip with the, the Sandman talking, Logan and Francis and another Sandman. So I'm going to play that um, right now. What happened to you? I lost a runner in Cathedral. Tucker? Ran into some cubs I couldn't manage. One of them cut me bad all the way down. Cubs? I'm on my way to New You for repairs. Get yourself a new face while you're at it. They know you now. <laughs> You know, I might look in on a new you myself. I'm before eight three. You? Why? It's that last runner. I think he got a face change on last day. Well, if so, someone in four eight three was trying to help him. Check it out. Yeah, there was a good little exchange there between the little guys in black, the Sandman, 
Oh, the um, thing I wanted to say is the these guys basically have the coolest weapons in any movie. Well, maybe except for a lightsaber in the Star Wars films, but the, the deep uh, sleep, the Sandman pistols, the guns that they use that shoot out the little flame. There were some working ones that were used in this film. Some people would make replicas of those that actually use a calcium carbide type mechanism and they can shoot out a flame like they appear in these these movies. They're rather a complicated mechanism and kind of expensive to get built, but uh, just a little aside there, that wasn't just a special effect in this film that was put in. Those things actually did that. Some of them did. So, but they, I, I think those are just some of the coolest, coolest weapons. Um, what else? So, you know, the, the, the future is not so, so good. And they, and Logan and Jessica bust out and they go off on a little adventure and they find things that are a little surprising. And one thing they run into, which was very unusual for them, is they run into Peter Ustinov, or is that how you say his name, Ustinov? He is an old man in this movie. Actually, he's just called the old man. And I'm going to play an audio clip of them and their discussion about uh, marriage, which I think is pretty neat. They're they're sitting around kind of a little campfire, and they're talking about uh, marriage, husband, and wife uh, situations, which Logan and Jessica are unfamiliar with in this sort of future sterilized society. So listen to this. I've been thinking, those those words we saw, um, beloved husband, uh, beloved wife. Yeah. Well, what do they mean? Oh, well, you see, uh, beloved wife would mean my mother, see, and beloved husband would be more like my... my, uh, Yeah, my father. And those words, they, they use those words to... Stay together. I can't... Stay together? Yeah, I can't put it any different. I don't... What do you mean? I mean, they... They lived together all their years? Yeah. Oh, well, before I come along, I don't know what... But after I... Oh, yeah, they did. So, people stayed together for this feeling of love. They would live and raise children and... be remembered. Yeah. Raised me, didn't they? Right in there. <laughs> Yeah. I think I'd like that, Logan. Don't you? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Why not? Beloved husband. Yeah. <laughs> Beloved wife. Beloved son. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, Peter Ustinov does a, does a really good job as the old man in this film. It's 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 really good. That Michael York uh, and Jenny Augutter, they do a real good job at reacting to who, to his, the way he looks in this. You know, they're used to everyone under thirty. Everyone's all trim and young and tight and you know not heavy yet and no wrinkles and no gray hair and all that. And they they do a good job with that. So Logan's Run. Another fun film for me, at least. Uh, and that's about it for the film section this time. And this special film uh, part of the podcast, uh, instead of a Star Trek episode, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I'm still going to talk about a collectible. I'm going to take just a break here for a second. But when I come back, I'm going to talk about the Sideshow Toys Terminator 2 Endo Arm. And I'm not going to talk real long about it but because I'm running short on time. But I will talk about it. Quick break. Be right back. Okay, and I'm back. The collectible for the week, like I said, this is a very, very nice replica. Just got it a few months ago, maybe three months ago. It's from a company called Sideshow Toys. I will put all this in the show notes and links and that it is still available from their website. It is the Terminator 2 Judgment Day replica endoskeleton arm. Now, in the in the film, there's a scientist in the Terminator film that has a an arm in kind of a in, in encased in a case in the movie. And that's what this basically this replica is supposed to represent. If you remember from the Terminator films, it was sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, if I remember this correctly. Basically, that uh, when the Terminator goes back in time, uh, uh, parts of him are left, a chip, an arm, whatever. 
in the first film, I think it's just a chip, but eventually they get a, they get this arm, and it, it's what helps them create the um, cyborg-type cyborg creatures, the, the Terminators of the future. Um, it's been a couple of years since I saw the movie, so I apologize if I'm not getting that quite right, but that's the essence of it, at least as, as far as I recall. But the replica of this is really cool. The neat thing I think about this replica the most, well, first, it, it, it really represents a, very much like the way it looked in the film. So if you're into that, that's that's a good thing. It is made, though, out of um, resin. It is not really metal. It is, it is chrome-plated resin, triple chrome-plated resin, actually. And I'll tell you, when you, when you hold on to this thing, if you didn't know that it was just you know, resin, which means plastic, you know, a uh, plastic material that was just chrome plated, you would really think that you were holding a truly, uh, completely metal arm piece. I mean, it it, it feels, uh, the, the plating on it makes it feel cold to the touch. You know how metal will tend to be a little cooler or feel cooler, pull heat away from you if you touch it. Like if you touch a metal uh, desktop or something like that or a file cabinet. Well, this feels like that. And it's really neat. It's it's. I I wasn't sure at first if that was going to be something they could do. I guess making it out of really truly metal was going to be a lot more costly. So they they went resin and then chrome plated that. But the uh, couple other things on this piece. One, uh, the position of the fingers, all of that, everything is fixed. Nothing's really movable or changeable in this. And I I don't really have a problem with that. It's not like I'm going to start making my Terminator arm give somebody the finger or something. Um, but so just so you know, though, it's, it's all, um, built as, as you see it in the, in their website. And I'll, again, I'll link that on the show notes page, but it's a, it's a true one-to-one scale replica. It's about, uh, two feet high. It's fairly heavy, probably weighs around, I think it's about 15 pounds or so. So it's a, it's a very solid piece. It comes on a nice, uh, display base. One thing I do have to mention too, um, there's a company, excuse me, there's a company called Wonder Cabinet. In the film, this is covered as sort of a clear plastic tube, and in the movie, it looks really cool, looks kind of scientific, you know, they're studying it and all. But you can get a clear plastic tube from a company called Wonder Cabinet, and I will also try to link that in the show notes. And it's a little extra, so you got to buy the arm and you got to buy the case to cover it. But the nice thing about it is it completely encloses it. Not only does it look cool with that, but it keeps the um, the arm and that and everything, the collectible piece, uh, dust-free. So you just have to sort of dust off the, the casing or the cover for it. So anyway, that's the uh, Sideshow Collectibles, which which is an awesome, basically, website. The other thing about Sideshow recently, they got the 12-inch figure license for the Star Wars uh, figures, the 12-inch size, not the small ones. And they just announced their first one, which is going to be Luke Skywalker from Return of the Jedi, which is, it looks like a really nice, nice figure they're going to do. And you can take, check, check that out on their website. So Sideshow Toys, SideshowToysSorry.com, but I'll put that in the show notes. going to take uh, one more little uh, uh, break. And actually what I'm going to play now is a comment from my buddy over at Extra Life, Scott Johnson. He sent me a little audio clip and he had a question and, and, a little bit of a uh, comment on the next Star Trek movie. So we're going to play that now and then I will uh, reply. Here it goes. Hey Rico, it's Scott Johnson from the extra life radio show. Hey, just wanted to pop in with a quick, uh, interesting uh, thing. I heard, I heard an interview on TV guides podcast uh, called TV guide talk. And they were interviewing Brent Spiner, who's part of the threshold television series, uh, which I understand is very good. Haven't seen it yet, but uh, anyway, they asked him a question about whether or not he thought, they would reprise his role as Data in Star Trek Next Generation uh, in terms of new feature films. And uh, I think this might answer the question as to whether or not we can ever expect to see a Next Generation film again or another Star Trek film in general. You may have to make that call, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Here's a snippet of that uh, interview with Brent Spiner. Uh, Speaking of Data and Star Trek, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you for the millionth time. Will there be another film with Data? Do you have any interest in reprising that character again? Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I, I I don't think it's a great idea. I, I think I'm a little long in the tooth to play Data at this point. I I, I think Data was uh, is one of those creatures that it, 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 his essence is useful, and my essence is is really not useful anymore. 
And uh, but if they, you know, uh, hey, they can do anything with makeup these days. You think so? Yeah. Certainly, certainly plastic surgery. That'd be a slightly older android. That's possible. Well, yeah, he could be uh, an older android, but. I think, uh, you know, if they came up with a great story and they really wanted us to do it, I'm sure we'd all be happy to do it, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, Rico, I'd be curious to get your feelings, your impressions of uh, what you think would really happen. Um, does this pretty much put a nail in that coffin? Do you think a future Star Trek film is indeed possible? Can't wait to hear it. Keep up the great work. Wonderful podcast. Good night and good luck. Well, uh, thanks very much for that uh, nice audio clip, Scott. Um, Brent Spiner. Yes, he's on that show Threshold. Haven't caught it yet either myself. Been really uh, getting behind on these new shows. There's been really too many. I'm hoping in December when everything's in rerun mode, I'm going to get caught up and then and catch some of those Threshold shows. But uh, as far as Star Trek and the Star Trek film series, I think we talked about that on your Extra Life show last week uh, when I when I joined you guys. I think when they do do another when they do another Star Trek film, it will be with uh, an original new cast. Maybe they'll have a cameo or two, perhaps, depending on the time frame they set it in. So, yeah, I really, unfortunately, I'm kind of sad because I, I would have liked to have seen another Next Generation film or two. I think mo- all those actors could still do a wonderful job. Uh, and you could explain Data out, you know. I mean, I know Brent Spiner tells us, the, you know, in the clip that you played there, that he thinks he's getting a little too old, but that's easily explained. You know, you just say Data's, you know, program and his whatever system it was designed or has been changed to to age, so he will, you know, better fit in with his fellow crewmen who are getting a little older or something. You can, you can easily come up with something on that. So, but with the the kind of uh, you know didn't do too well at the box office the last Star Trek film with Nemesis and the Next Generation crew. The, the bits that we've been hearing is is they're going to go in a new direction. So I think that's probably what's going to happen. I think that's going to about wrap it up, though, for this week, folks. Um, last, I want to just say I'm doing this on Saturday evening instead of Sunday. So I hope I didn't found, sound too found, sound too draggy tonight. But I'm really trying to clear my slate a little bit for tomorrow because I would like, or I would like, I am planning to go with my family to see the new Harry Potter movie, which I'm really, really excited about. I love those books. I think the fourth book, especially The Goblet of Fire, is just awesome. It was probably one of the favorites of mine of the, of the are there, let's see, six, six books so far. So I'm really looking forward to it. It sounds like people are really liking it. I have tried not to read too much about that, because I, again, try to make up my own mind, but going to try to do that tomorrow so i wanted to get this show done tonight i probably won't upload it until tomorrow i want to clean it up and do some uh you know tweaks to the show but wanted to get it at least recorded tonight so again hopefully i didn't sound too draggy i hope you enjoyed the um the my take on some sci-fi and fantasy type films things that i enjoy you know when i watch these things i, I think to myself that gosh those those are still good films and they're they're still fun to watch and they still stick with me. And I, I kind of wonder if the movies, you know, that I see these days that come out, like I use Netflix and I watch a lot of films, not just science fiction, but just a lot of films in general, because I love movies and they don't just stick with me anymore. A few of them do, a few of them, but uh, not, a, not a whole lot. So we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. Anyway, thanks for listening again, folks. I really appreciate it. I hope you uh, come back next week. We'll be doing another Star Trek episode next week. And hang on, wait a second. I got to check my notes. Okay. Um, one just wanted to check what I had written down. Next week, we're going to talk about the. I always say we are going to talk about. It's only me. I'm talking to you, but I'm um, going to talk about the original Star Trek um, series episode, Journey to Babel. Great, great episode. Another classic, another episode I've seen countless times. So I'm looking forward to doing that show. And the collectible for next week's show will be the Master Replica's Phaser, uh, original series Phaser, which is an awesome piece. Actually, I have uh, the one that's signed by William Shatner, so that's cool. Anyway, uh, I hope you tune in for next week's show, people, and I really, again, appreciate the votes I've been getting on Podcast Alley over the last week or so. Really, really appreciate it. And just uh, thanks for listening, guys and girls.
and gals and whatever aliens are listening to this show. So I am rambling. It's getting late here. Oh, darn. Forgot one last thing. I put a Frapper map up on the website. So anyone who's so Frapperly inclined, please feel free to add yourself to the Trucks and Sci-Fi Frapper map. It's on uh, the website, or you can just go to Frapper, F-A-R-P-P-R, slash Treks in Sci-Fi. Good night, folks. This has been a Rick Dosti production. 